everyone, and welcome to this episode of Apartment Investing for Early Retirement. Today's guest is Vince Gathings. Vince is the owner of Michigan-based Villanautics LLC and co-owner of Tri-City Equity Group. His team specializes in acquiring underperforming multifamily properties that can be repositioned to increase the NOI. Vince uses his 14 years of active duty Air Force experience to build performing teams and efficient systems that are designed to be managed in out-of-state markets. Currently, he has $5 million in assets under management and also has a passion for personal development and financial education where he contributes on several different platforms. Enjoy today's show. Vince, welcome to the show. Hey, Derek. Uh, thank you for having me on. So why don't you just give our listeners a little bit of background for, for what your story is and how you've gotten to where you're at uh, with your investing and just kind of your life for what, what made you uh, take some action there? Okay, starting at the beginning of my life, this is what happened. Uh, no, so my story is uh, I'm active duty military, Air Force. Um, been in for 14 years. I started investing in stocks uh, around 2008, 2009, uh, like most military people, that's normally the route they go first, just because it's uh, low barrier to entry and we can do it from anywhere. Uh, meaning, you know, when you're deployed or, you know, at a remote location somewhere and you want to do something productive to occupy your time, you know, day trading, swing trading stocks is a very easy, uh, um, thing to get into. So, that's how I started was, uh, you know, stock investing. Um, and I did that from like 2008, 2009, all the way up to about 14, 13, 14 is when I bought my first, uh, live and flip. I did the birth strategy with that and, uh, Bay area, California bought a property, did a live and flip on it and ended up selling that around 2017. Um, and I took that capital I made off of that and I started investing into multifamily. And, and at that time, um, I had gotten a uh, couple of things that happened. So one, I, I knew I want to do real estate, um, but doing the live and flip. And then two, I got burned really bad on, uh, a stock, a company that I was invested in on the, in the stock market. And it was like six months of research down the drain, still got burned. And after that, I vowed that, uh, you know, I, I'm going to invest in a, an asset that I have more control over. Uh, so what I had re realized um, was with, with a stock market, you can do all the, all the research you want, look at all the prospectuses, uh, you know, financials, all this stuff, all the industry outlooks and everything. And, and still you have no control over anything. Like you're just buying a, piece of paper, a security, and it, the CFO could be, you know, laundering money or the, the CEO, CEO could be, um, you know, do, uh, making poor, uh, leadership decisions or, or, um, decisions for the company and you have no control over it. You're so long for the ride. And, and that's what happened with me was I invested in a company, everything looked great. And it ended up being the C CEO and uh, CFO were submitting falsified documents to the SEC to boost their, their earnings reports. So everything looked like everything the investors had looked great, but it was all fake. Um, so at, at that point, and I didn't lose a whole lot. It was a couple grand, but it really opened my eyes to like, you know, you have no control over, over that. Um, 
So that's why I was like, okay, I'm going full into real estate. Uh, so I took the cash out from my burr, uh, my, my house hack I did. And, and I started buying uh, small multifamily units in, in Michigan um, and never stopped since, since then, since 2016. You know, why did you choose Michigan? What was it about it that was it's, you know, where you grew up or, you know, that seems like kind of, uh, kind of an odd spot just to, to pick, but what was the, the reason for that? And then, um, you know, how did you kind of determine why that market and setting up uh, teams for how, how the stuff was going to be managed and buying and operating it? Uh, yeah, great question. I'll, I'll walk you through my thought process there and, and the unique challenges I had to deal with. So it was, it was hard up front, but in the end, now that my systems are set up, it, it's been very beneficial. So being in the military, I had to go into building my company, my portfolio with me 100% not going to be involved in it. Like I'll never be in the same market as it. And even if I was in the same market, I'm going to be moving three to four years anyway. So it doesn't make sense. It didn't make sense to me to, okay, I'm just going to buy where I'm at, which at the time was Bay Area, California, which was super unaffordable um, and still is. So not only was the barrier to entry high where I was at, but I knew that for sure I was going to be leaving two, three years and I just have to start building the systems anyway. So the one thought process was I need to pick a place that's going to be stable, uh, that I can, that I can go to build one system. It doesn't matter where I'm living that, uh, I can manage that portfolio in, in that one location. So that was one thought process. And the other one was, you know, during my early education, uh, during picking markets, um, you know, a lot of people will go off just the, the pure data, like where's the population growing, where's the job growing, jobs growing and stuff like that. Um, but one of the, I think one of the most undervalued uh, metrics is what markets do you have a competitive advantage in? Because it might say, you know, you might be looking up data and be like, okay, um, Huntsville, Alabama is the best market in the world right now. But if you don't know anybody in Huntsville, uh, any, any investors in there, any property managers, any, any lenders there, um, any ties to that area at all, it's, it's going to be harder for you to, to break into that market. It doesn't matter how great the, the economy is growing there. So one of the early lessons I learned was pick markets you have a competitive advantage in uh, and give that a weighted factor against you know, the, the metrics of the, the city. So it might not be you know, a large, you know, bustling metropolis, you know, million dollar or million uh, uh, people population, but it, it might, it might be very stable and your, your cousin lives there. So, and your, your family lives there. So you have boots on the ground, people you can trust to go walk properties. And that's what Michigan was for me. So I've never lived in Michigan, but my wife, her family's from Michigan through like generations. So that was my competitive advantage was, okay, I have a rock there and, you know, some roots there where no matter where I'm living, I have ties to Michigan and they know every single block and street in that town. So when I'm looking at a property and say, Hey, I'm looking at this, uh, this, you know, four unit, six unit property on the street, they can call me and say, yeah, that, that place is, you know, that, that's like a crack house. You don't want to invest, you know, that, that's a bad area. Uh, don't, you don't want to invest there. And, and so I can be like, okay, well note taken. Right. So they know each, uh, each, each area, each street, um, very well. So they can advise me on areas, um, you know, where, where I want to be, where I don't want to be. They can be my boots on the ground. They can do drive-bys for me stuff like that. And I can 
trust them. So that was initially starting out. Um, that's why I picked Michigan was I wanted a nice stable market and I wanted um, a place that had a competitive advantage. And for me, my wife's family, and that was Michigan. So, you know, when you made the, the switch, just going into, you know, focusing on real estate and, you know, multifamily, what, why did you choose specifically to focus more on multifamily versus say duplexes or single families, even if it were, you know, just in, in a market back in Michigan, you know, why are you looking at scaling up a little bit more? What was it that attracted you to that? So when I first started, um, I never really like, so I, I was going to do, uh, my, my, I guess my progression, right? So I did a living flip and I was like, Oh, this isn't, this isn't bad. Let me just keep doing these, uh, these burst strategies. Um, you know, buy single family, super cheap, at like an auction foreclosure, um, probate or something like that, where you can get them, you know, pennies on the dollar, uh, you know, flip it and then throw a renter in there. Um, that strategy works a lot better when you're in the market. Uh, cause it's a lot doing heavy lifts like that are, are something that you want to be a lot more involved in. Um, so I did one in Michigan and I'll never do that again. That was just way too much work. You know, the, uh, what's the saying? Like the juice isn't worth the squeeze. It was a lot of work for one door is what I'm saying. Uh, so the, I, I quickly switched from single family to small multifamily because, you know, then I, my progression went from, okay, now I'm going to get on bigger pockets, read all Brandon Turner's books. And, and they were out, they were outstanding. Um, definitely helped me get to that, that one next rung up the ladder. So I started buying uh, small multifamily units and I bought 20 units, um, all duplexes and fourplexes in 18 months. So I was like, this is awesome. You know, I'm buying duplexes. I'm, I'm, uh, scaling, um, so to speak, because now I'm doing multiple doors under one roof and I have, you know, economies of scale and, and I start breaking into that a little bit. Um, and they're, they're easier to get. There's a lot more, uh, uh duplex and fourplex in a market than there are say a 20 unit apartment building. So there's a lot more of them. Financing on them is really easy. You know, you get, cause you're still doing conventional loans. Um, you, you get 20% down, you buy a duplex, 20% down, you buy a duplex. There's no, there's no real, uh, lender requirements. So they're not going to look really deep into like your business plan and stuff like that. Cause it's still just a residential conventional loan. Um, you can come up with 20 grand in your, or uh, 20% and your credit score is good. Like you're going to get approved, um, for, for a conventional loan. So just the, the barrier to entry was really low. So I, I started buying those and so I had 20 units in this Michigan market and everything was good. And then I hit a plateau of, I, I, I couldn't get higher than 20. Like I, my, my system started breaking down um, both my bandwidth system. So me just managing remotely uh, my, my property manager and the way that my third party property manager was working um, started breaking down like that, that, that system. And I couldn't scale any further. And then I started thinking down go, uh, my goal setting. So I started looking at my goal setting and trying to figure out, okay, what's the end goal in this thing. And we'll get to later um, since this is an early retirement show, like, okay, what's that number for me. And once we sit down and actually kind of define that, I was like, I'm going to have to buy like 50 more of these duplexes or whatever, fourplexes or a hundred more transactions in order to get to my early retirement number. I was like, that's going to take forever. Like that's a lot of work um, uh, to get to, a lot more work than I think is required to get to that early retirement number. So uh, 
went out, got some education. Uh, that's when I, I at the, up to this point, I had never really paid for any, any kind of education. It was just books. So I just go to meetups, ask them what everybody's reading, read the books, start implementing stuff. And that got me to about that, that 20 unit range. And after that, I was like, okay, I need something more like a coach, mentor, program to get to the next level. Uh, so I went out, got a program. And within like six months of doing that program and figuring out all the stuff I didn't know uh, and, and all the stuff that I was doing wrong, uh, I had a 52 unit under contract within six months, closed on that. Um, so it scaled up bigger. And then uh, eight months later, we bought another 48 unit. So I was able to scale up much quicker uh, once I you know, got some, some higher level education and, and a team behind me um, to kind of show me the ropes. Yeah. And especially with, you know, having to do it all remote when you're able to get something that is a little bit larger, you're able to bring more people into it, partner up, and it just kind of divvies up the duties, which can, can balance out. And especially if there is someone that's, you know, has, has a good amount of that market knowledge, that's a direct partner in it. They're there, they can check up on it, whether you're doing in-house management or not, you know, you still have a third party. It's someone to the management company knows, Hey, any day this person could stop by. And, and it kind of keeps an added level of accountability. Uh, but yeah, you know, getting around, being able to have that network to be around the right people to, to build up, form partnerships, scale up, you know, however you go about that. It's just, uh, you know, especially when, when you're remote doing it, uh, you know, eases the process and provides, you know, in my opinion, more security with it. Uh, because, you know, again, touching on a duplex with stuff that's going on right now, if you have one tenant that's, you know, one unit that's not able to pay their rent for May, you know, you're 50% economic yep. uh, occupancy versus if you have a, a 20 unit, you know, it just really eases that out. Now, again, everything is kind of unprecedented in what we're dealing with right now. So, you know, it, it's, it's just having that greater unit count in one location to kind of divvy out the risk, uh, you know, and again, been able to add, was that hundred on the dot, right? Since you, uh, since you joined up and just really start to propel towards, <laughs> towards getting to that number quicker, even if you do have to split it up over yeah. a few partners or, you know, some, whether it's a syndicated yeah. deal, just kind of helps to uh, propel that, that growth. So that's great. But um, you know, when you're going about that, how do you, how did you kind of go through, you know, determining, you know, have you expanded out from that market in Michigan? And if so, kind of how you went about that, you know, again, breaking into a second market with that, you know, idea focusing just on the multifamily with larger properties. Yep. So we started with, uh, the 52 unit in Michigan and we built, uh, and that was a, that was a partnership. So me, three other, three other guys chipped in, um, took that one down and that was just a partnership. Uh, so we built our systems and, and that's one thing, and all of us are remote. So to note on that, all four of us are remote to Michigan. So when you're remote like that, um, it's really important that you spend a lot of time up front building your systems and your processes, uh, up front. So like, if you need books to help you with that, like uh, the E-Myth, Michael Gerber is the one that really kind of outlined that process of spend a lot of time up front uh, building your systems and your processes. And he has a, a lot of analogies, a lot of metaphors and examples to help illustrate the importance of this, you know, building like a franchise model. 
because then you, you build these systems, takes a lot of time up front, but once it's right and, and you set it, uh, the time that you're investing to keep that machine ma uh, maintained, it goes down considerably. And that was like the last nail in the coffin of like uh, scaling up to lar larger multifamily. Um, you know, 50 units is not, not that large, uh, but like the 1500 unit range is because I spend less time now on my 52 unit than I do on like my four unit or my duplex. Um, and that was like, you know, the, the last, like I said, the last nail of like, okay, there, there's no way I'm going back to uh, small multifamily. Uh, the economies of scale are there with the, the large one. Um, you can afford uh, better quality systems like software systems, management systems. You can afford to pay better management firms or better contractors because your budgets are bigger. So the, the higher quality systems um, and software and people you can afford, the less work you have to do, the less managing you have to do. You just set everything up in the beginning. And then you just do like weekly checks or, or whatever you want to do implement as far as, um, you know, managing the managers and managing the asset. But I can tell you it goes down considerably the hot, the, the higher unit count you go. Um, what was the second question? Oh, you said going to another market. Yep. Yes. So going to another market. So yes, the 48 unit that we just closed on, uh, at, at this date, two weeks ago, um, that is in a whole new market. That's in El Paso, Texas. So entirely uh, other side of the country and that market was brought on by two of my partners uh one had lived there for a couple of years uh when he was in the army at fort bliss and the other one uh is a lp investor for for a much larger syndicator that operates uh in that market um he's an lp investor so they uh we were looking at michigan and they're like hey let's you know let's talk about el paso and I ne never in a hundred years, I never would have thought El Paso market, um, never looked into it, never really considered it. And we started doing uh, jumped on a zoom call like this, started going through the metrics going on things like city data and neighborhood scout and, and uh, BLS and just looking up the metrics the normal due diligence stuff you do in market research. And I was like, man, El Paso might have some like the, all, all the metrics it had was, was pretty uh, astounding. Um, being that it's a border border city and everything like that. And, uh, you know, it's a generally lower income population. Um, so you wouldn't uh, really think there's a lot of growth there and stuff like that. But we, the more we looked into it, uh, the more I was surprised and surprised and impressed on, on how El Paso is and has been historically over the last 20 years. Um, so we, we started marketing uh, brokers in that area uh, and then, had a couple of, you know, we submitted you know, a bunch of offers. Um, and then we finally landed a, the 48 unit, um, closed that in the middle of coronavirus. So <laughs> that can be a whole, whole, uh, conversation just on the last two weeks of closing that deal during coronavirus. Um, but yep. And so that's how we picked, uh, that, that second market. So it was referred by my partners. We looked into it and we ran down our, our checklist of market research and metrics that we look at and think, things that we think are important. Um, and we decided that we were, we were going to take on another market, uh, which was El Paso. You know, just to, to touch on it from having, having to close on the, those last couple of weeks, right in, right in the middle of the chaos, uh, you know, what was maybe something that you learned from that process that is going to help you moving forward that, you know, you faced, I imagine as, as much adversity as you've had in, in the acquisition process, just with so much uncertainty towards the back end. What, what would you say is uh, 
something that you're going to really adapt and, and use moving forward? Um, so a couple of things. So one, when you're underwriting, don't uh, undervalue or skip or skimp or anything on the importance of uh, your, your financial modeling for, for stress testing a deal. Um, you know, we underwrite usually pretty conservatively uh, going in. Um, but we had to go even more conservative, you know, ba- you know, back in early March when the world was ending, uh, you know, we had to go back and, okay, let's do a, you know, 50% occupancy over the next four or five, six months. Does the deal still cash flow? Does it still work? So we had to go back and, and take our conservative underwriting and even go further stress testing things like, uh, adding in things like negative rent growth, adding things like increasing your economic vacancy to, you know, 40, 50%, um, for, for a year is what we did. Um, not adding any additional income at all. So n- not adding things like rubs or, or moving fees or, or any kind of uh, additional value add captures that most people that reposition properties do. Um, and, and really fo- focus on just maintaining it, make sure it cash flows through the, the, the worst part of the storm and then uh, having enough reserves to, to weather the storm to make sure you can, um, you know, keep up with your debt service and, and things like that. So now it's not even an option. Uh, before we were just planning for, okay, let's have, you know, uh, six to a year worth of uh, pity in reserve. And then the lender came back like the day before closing saying they wanted a year of uh, principal and interest payments in escrow. And I was like, man, I'm glad we planned this out a month ago because otherwise this deal would have just died. Um, you know, cause we would have had to come up with, uh, like $75,000, you know, two or three days before closing. Um, yeah. So it was good that we, we had planned for that. So I would encourage anybody that's looking to do a deal in the next year, plan on doing like a year, minimum a year, p- uh, pity reserves, and then just stress test your models. Um, uh, a lot. <laughs> yeah. See, see how low you can go, see how bad yeah. everything can get. And, yeah. uh, and even yeah. on the, like on the exit too, like your reversion cap rates, like a lot of people do, uh, you know, either zero for a reversion cap rate or, you know, like, um, 25 basis points, something like that. Like we went up to like three, like if we're buying at a six, we plan on selling it or a seven, we plan on selling this thing at a 10. Does the deal still work at a 10? Um, and it did. So, like that's the level of stress we did uh, on the on the on this deal to in order for us to stay in it because there was about two days where like we were out of the deal like it's too crazy there's too much uncertainty we're out and then we spent we, like locked ourselves in our offices for like three days and really figured out okay how can we make this deal work and like let's go to the absolute max of stress testing it and, and see if it still works and we ended up getting a, a little bit of a seller credit back at closing to help with that liquidity, um, help with liquidity at closing to get through this coronavirus thing. Um, and that, that helped a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, now that you went through and and beat the deal up so much and yeah, with uh, the cap rate and it still works, if you're selling at a 10 cap, it's got to make you feel pretty good about the deal that you Mm -hmm. have now, you know, we're this again, this too shall pass. We'll get through this, you know, and Mm -hmm. it seems like Texas, you know, when we're recording this is, is, one of the first ones that is starting to open back up, I guess we'll see how things develop, but you know, should really help uh, ease that moving forward because if you can kind of make it through this, you'd, you'd assume that this is going to be the biggest obstacle, you know, knock on wood, 
yeah. moving forward and you'll be able to eventually once we recover execute that business plan and come uh come out with a, a heck of a deal so that's that's great i mean not great that you had to go through all that but now moving forward it'll it'll really add another element to make sure that you are getting these rock solid deals so that's you know find the positive in the in the tough situation yeah the positive was that our uh, uh the bad so we had three lenders going into it and uh one of them backed out completely once coronavirus hit off, the other one uh, lowered their LTV from a 75 to 65. So that one we could have done, but you know, it was a lot more capital we had to raise, um, which diluted the returns uh, for the deal. Then the last one uh, kept their word on the 75% LTV and lowered their rate. Uh, so we got like a six point or a 3.625 uh, interest rate with like a 25 year AM, uh, no yield maintenance on like a 15 year term. So it was like, they went completely the other direction of the other banks. Like everybody else was like freezing lending or making, uh, you know, tighter, um, underwriting requirements. Um, that lender, uh, you know, went the other direction. They were very confident in our, uh, our business plan and our ability to execute it. And we're, we're very comfortable with how much liquidity we were bringing to closing, uh, post close. Um, so they they gave us like absolute rock star rate, which, really helped the deal out um uh you know going from a you know 4.7 or something like that interest rate to a 3.6 is is huge when you're talking about that that size loan and and what was that finance through was that a, a local lender or was it a agency i was local so it was local credit union awesome so we didn't um th this property did not qualify for agency based off of uh um occupancy so it was like like a seventy nine or something percent uh, occupancy, uh, seventy eight seventy nine range uh, at closing. So it probably wouldn't have qualified. <laughs> yeah, and too with you know having that community bank, you know you were able to persevere through. So you know I see that becoming much more common just with everything that again you would assume is going to unfold on the back end of uh, uh, COVID nineteen uh, uh, time frame here that you're going to have to access more community uh, community banks for, for that initial financing until you can mm -hmm. stabilize it and, and refinance into agency. Mm -hmm. So, it, you know, building that relationship up. So there, there should be a lot of opportunity and yeah, again, everything that you can, can learn and adapt, you know, every challenge is just an opportunity to, to grow and, and come out stronger on the back end. So sounds like you, you guys are certainly uh, on the way to doing that. So that's good. Yeah. Uh, one of the, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Yeah, so one of the, the things that we do, we started doing after every deal, because um, if you ever close a deal before, and the bigger they get, it's, uh, you know, during underwriting and, and due diligence, um, it gets pretty crazy the last couple of weeks. So a lot of things, a lot of moving parts, a lot of uh, really fast decisions and everything like that. So one of the things we started doing was like the day or two after closing, like we sit down, we all jump on a call and we do like a debrief of, okay, here's all the things we did wrong. Right. So he, here's all the things we did wrong from start to finish. And here's the things that we're going to fix for next time um, to make sure that these don't happen again. Like it, it could be, it could have been small stuff like not pressing um, the owners enough on getting the loss run reports. Right. Cause most people don't think about it. It's in the due diligence, you know, it's in your due diligence to get loss run so you can get a, you know, insurance quote. But if you lose sight of that, like just that one item, and all of a sudden now you don't get loss runs to, you know, two weeks before closing and the insurance company needs two weeks to get a quote. 
all of a sudden now you're like, oh man, we're going to have to push closing to get an insurance quote. Like this isn't, this is crazy, but that's something that could happen that slips through the crack. So um, yeah, we, we, we do a complete debrief of all the things like is that we could do better and, and we make a, turn that into a system, add those to our checklist for next time. So we, we improve our processes uh, for the next deal. So that's something I think we do um, pretty well. Great. And, you know, do you, obviously you have a, have a W2, you have an active job that, that you got going on. Um, you know, I have actually spoken with someone yesterday that's, that's looking to get into specifically multifamily, haven't had any real estate investing uh, experience before. So kind of, you know, they're in the education phase. How would you, you know, how do you balance having that job and being able to dedicate the time towards investing on focusing on your current assets and being able to uh, can continue to get into uh, new properties as well. Like you mentioned earlier, um, when you, people d- decide to get into multifamily uh, about partnerships, that's been the best thing that I've done. Uh, that was the, the one thing that got me over that hurdle over the 20 units. That's where I hit, you know, working a W2 job, I got to 20 units and then I hit a wall. A big part of that was, um, not just the, the financing, uh, the equity side of it, but I was just physically, I didn't have enough time to manage, you know, a bunch of little duplexes, um, you know, 3000 miles away. Uh, so finding a partner really helped, uh, or partners really helped with, uh, scaling up to multifamily, but also, um, my time management of everything else. I have, you know, I have a full-time 40 hour, 50 hour week job, uh, uh, being able to divide up those uh, those duties responsibilities and then implement the systems for accountability between us uh, has been uh, really beneficial in in the success of our partnership and ability to grow and and go get more properties. Like we're going to be actively looking for another deal, um, you know, in in a few months after we stabilize the the one we just took down. Uh, as soon as that looks like it's rounding a corner, we get our feet underneath ourselves and the you know, the processes and systems are running themselves and the, and the new property manager, um, you know, gets a pulse on things and we're going to be in the market again for another deal. Um, and that's because we have, you know, a good partnership. Every understands their roles and responsibilities. We leverage technology um, and, and we have accountability systems. So uh, that has been one of the uh, one things that I've done uh, or best thing I've done to manage a W2 job and just life in general while building a portfolio 4,000 miles away. People and systems. Uh, so, you know, again, kind of with where you're at, you did just touch on it that you're you will be looking uh, for some more deals once you once you get that stabilized a little bit. But, you know, what really are you doing right now for those next steps to to take advantage of the opportunity that's going to come from the the coronavirus uh, shutdowns that that swept the swept the world really? But obviously, focusing on on the markets that you're looking at right now. So one of the biggest things we've done and, um, you know, the shelter in place that we're doing ha- has helped with that is give us the time to kind of set back and, and look at our entire business uh, as a whole and not just, you know, operations into one thing or, or different uh, aspects of the business in, in like silos. Um, but overall, look at our entire like funnel of deal flow into uh, broker relationships, uh, market research. Um, you know, getting new investors uh, uh, into into our system and meeting new invest- investors or potential partners. Um, so we've really had the time to kind of sit back 
and look at what these processes look like and see where we're not doing so good on and marketing is one of them and just more of that uh the, the marketing and investor relationship uh side of the house we're really going to be uh focusing on spinning that up um over the next uh, couple weeks here that um just because we just one of the processes that we identified in our in our analysis that is lacking uh so that's what we're going to be doing and uh next step is yeah just um looking looking for new deals uh two to three months, um, hopefully some new deals come up online and we have, we, we took advantage of this downtime to make our business better. Yeah. Do it, do what you can with the time that we have so that, uh, can go back, uh, go back to getting out there. Uh, you're ready to, ready to strike and, and get some more deals. So, uh, just a few quick wrap up questions here for you. And, uh, you know, what does the word retirement mean to you? Uh, retirement means to me is owning my time. Uh, so not having to be anywhere that I don't want to be, uh, with anybody I don't want to be with, um, is, is a big one for me. So, uh, you know, when, in terms of multifamily, the very multifamily, this is, is have enough multifamily that throw up enough cash flow to make me, uh, you know, hit that, that time number of, um, you know, how, how long can I last without having to go get a W2 job? Right. So figure out what your living expenses are, your ideal life, make sure your cash flow, uh, covers that from your, my multifamily real estate investment. So that's the nuts and bolts of it is making sure my cash flow covers my expenses, um, for my ideal life. But then specific, uh, specifically for retirement is just, literally doing whatever I want. Like if I want to, uh, so I'm a, I'm a private pilot. Um, so if I want to, you know, take my plane and, you know, my daughter and I want to go, you know, spend the, the day and go fly over to Maui for cheeseburgers on a Tuesday afternoon, I can do that. Um, I don't have to be, uh, responsible, um, to a, you know, a boss or so to speak or an office, um, on their time. Um, so that that would be my idea of retirement is you know cash flow covers expenses and I don't have to be and I control my time I don't have to be anywhere I don't want to be Yeah that's awesome and yeah going on a Tuesday flying over to Maui to get some cheeseburgers sounds like a sounds like a pretty nice way to spend a day yeah. So yeah it you know a lot of times it's it's freedom more than money but money allows you to have that freedom you know it's exactly. it, it really does it's it's achieving those the monetary goals to provide the lifestyle, not to Scrooge McDuck into a pile of money, but to be yeah. able to have the experiences with that freedom of time. So yeah. um, what, what would you say was one, uh, one event or a book that you read that really made you take action to get into multifamily? Um, so this, the, let me think here. So the large multifamily, let me, let me see what I got on my shelf. I read a lot of books. Um, I th the one that kind of got me into it, uh, the, so the Wheelbarrow Profits Academy, they had Jake and Gino, they, they wrote a book. Um, and that's what got me to call them and, and talk to uh, their guy, Josh uh, Rusin. 
and, and get him on the phone and talk about their program. So, uh, yes, that would be like the one, I guess it'd be more of a program that got me into, so I read the book, the book got me to call them, which got me into their program, uh, which it's supposed to do. And then, uh, got into the program that really, like really opened my eyes up of like, you know, all this stuff, uh, bigger multifamily it's achievable. Uh, it's there, you know, and you can do it and, and they're going to show you how. Um, so that was the, uh, I guess the, the process. So I guess the Wilbur Profits Academy book, um, that led to all those other things. And then, you know, there's events that come with that. You go down to their events and all that as well. But, uh, that was one that made me take action. Um, you know, not just reading about it and like, Oh, that's, that's interesting. I'll never get there. And then put it back on the shelf, uh, type thing. Like it really got me to like spark, uh, um, you know, I, I need to take action. And then I, I'm saying action so much, uh, reminds me of, uh, the 10 X rule. So, uh, coupled with, you know, Grant Cardone's book, the 10 X rule, um, was right around the same time. I kind of read them around the same, uh, you know, couple months or a couple weeks. So yeah, Grant Cardone's 10 X rule. And then the wheelbarrow profits Academy, uh, got me into where the two books I say would got me to make that jump from small multifamily to a 52 unit within six months. Yeah. And you know, it, it's, you joined up with, uh, you know, into the Academy, getting that mentorship gain around the other, you know, other investors, would you say, obviously there's a lot of programs out there. And, you know, if, if that is something that, that people look into is, you know, find the right fit for you and there is a, a cost to it. It is an investment. How would you say that return on investment has been? Uh, for me, it's been, you know, infinite at this point, uh, just because the, the, the two large deals I've closed, you know, cover the cost of that investment uh, considerably. I, I will say that like, um, you know, any of those coaching programs are not for everybody. It's definitely like, it doesn't matter what you're doing. You still have to do the work. Like nobody's going to give you the secret, you know, codex of, you know, becoming rich. Like, there's a, there's a lot of programs, a lot of them are good and a lot of them are going to open the door, but you still have to walk through it. So they're only as good as the energy and time that you're going to put into uh, them. Um, I looked at a couple of my, nothing wrong with any of the other ones. It's just the one I picked was, uh, was Jake and Gino's. Um, I think I made the right choice. Uh, but I, I will say that you still have to do the work. You still have to take the action. Um, doesn't matter who, uh, you know, the coach and mentor are, um, you know, they're going to push you along and, and try to hold you accountable to take, uh, your commitments, but ultimately you, you still have to walk through the door. Uh, so that was one side of it. And the other one is, um, I probably, if I had to uh, do it again, I think I took coaching at the right point in my career. Um, you know, I had a couple of deals under my belt. Um, I had very good understanding of the transaction of real estate about what it takes to, you know, all the different pieces, like, you know, what brokers do, uh, how to talk to them, um, uh, you know, agents, property managers, contractors, like you've all had a little with the smaller multifamily, you all had a little taste at, you know, dealing with those people. Um, so I will say that for, for most people would probably benefit on, uh, just going to read a couple, you know, there's a lot of free information out there. And a lot of really good free information out there, like things like bigger pockets or, you know, go on Amazon and, and get a couple books. Um, 
know, there's, there's tons of good information that out there. So I would say do some free education, buy a couple books, uh, maybe get into a small deal on your own, or maybe with like a, a family partner or something like that. Um, just so you understand the basic transactions of, of real estate of, you know, managing a rental. And then once you get that down, of uh, a coaching program because a lot of people uh, that, that I've seen and there's nothing wrong with it some people are, are you can go either way with this but uh, what, what, what a lot of what I see is that a lot of uh, very brand new people will jump into a program and they just have no idea anything about real estate so they don't know they've never done like a like a SWOT analysis or like a, a strength and weaknesses analysis like they just don't know what they don't know. So they're starting from square one. If you do a small deal on your own and it doesn't need to be like a long-term thing, like, Hey, go, go buy a duplex or a fourplex, manage it for a year or six months or something like that. And that way you can like really assess, like, this is what I'm good at. This is what I just don't understand completely. And this is where, uh, you know, I need help, uh, specifically need help growing. And that way, when you jump into a program, you can take full advantage of the content it has, the coaches and stuff like that, because you already know where you're lacking um, and where they can push you and where you can, where they can really focus on growing you, uh, growing your weaknesses and, and helping your strengths grow even further. So that's just my personal take. I know a lot of people have their own. Um, but for me, I think a lot of people would benefit on just uh, doing a small deal on their own first and then, uh, take us take an assessment of where you're at and then jump into a program. Um, cause I think programs offer a lot of value, um, for, you know, the right students that are, that are willing to take the action and execute. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, getting into it at the right time, but with the understanding that it takes work and it's the consistency of it, you know, consistent, uh, consistent commitment, uh, to taking action. You can't just expect something to be done for you. They'll teach you the the systems, the process, you know, uh, you know, help you out there, get you around other people. But if you're not doing anything with it, it's not going to magically happen. So always have that mindset, regardless of, of you know, what program, if, if you do elect to go that route, that it's still uh, it still takes work on your end. But, um, you know, they can put put stuff in front of you uh, so you can so you can take advantage of it and, and really propel yourself. But um, lastly. How can listeners find out more about you? Um, yeah, so for, for Facebook, uh, I teamed up with a, a good friend, Jamie Grouper, and he runs the uh, Multifamily More Facebook group up, groups. Uh, in Hawaii, uh, me and my team, we run the Honolulu Multifamily and More. So if you're on Facebook, uh, reach out to us there. Um, join that group. Um, we do, well, now we're doing virtual meetups. Uh, we'll probably do some continue to do some virtual meetup in the, in the future, just cause we're getting good feedback from it. Um, but if you're in, in Hawaii, uh, come out to the, the Honolulu multifamily and more, uh, for just me directly. Uh, if you just want to talk to me or, or the team, um, about, uh, what we do for multifamily or how, you know, specifically maybe more nuts and bolts of how we scaled, um, and, and systems that we implement, it's, uh, uh going to be, uh, connect, at tricityequity.com is is my email and that'll just go to me and my partner and yeah just fire away whatever you have questions you have or just want to chat um yeah reach out to us there 
Great. Well, you know, this episode was packed with a bunch of bunch of great information and, you know, especially being able to balance uh, balance the time and, and partnering up, sharing the, the responsibilities, the expertise and being able to scale, you know, I think is, um, you know, great. That's where a lot of a lot of my listeners are at uh, is, you know, how to really propel. And yeah, you really touched on a lot of great elements of it and, uh, you know, pieces that you're, you're taking uh, moving forward for how to, you know, go through underwriting on the process for your next, uh, your next properties, which I'm sure there will be many. So, you know, really appreciate the time that you've taken and uh, we'll let you go, but yeah, look forward to having uh, some future, future conversations as you continue to grow. All right. Thanks for having me on Derek. Yep. Absolutely. Thank you everyone for tuning into this week's episode of Apartment Investing for Early Retirement. Please be sure to rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts and check us out on Facebook and Instagram. The links will be in the show notes. And if you enjoy the show, please be sure to share it out on social media so that we can reach more and more people to help educate them about the opportunity that multifamily investing provides to help reach their version of retirement sooner than later. Take care, everyone. <music>